0: another episode of the dc comics news weekly podcast this is episode number 92 and i'm your host seth singleton and i am thankfully joined by the wonderful and the witty starting things off my co-host mr brad felicky brad how are you
1: hey i'm hanging in i mom hope everyone as well
0: wonderful and my good friend mr steve j ray steve how are you doing today sir
2: Yeah, good, not bad, all things considered. A bit of bad news, but see, we'll talk about that shortly. But it's always great to be here with my DC Comics News Brothers.
0: Steve, I'm with you on that. If we're going to have to talk about some unfortunate, some heartbreaking, some downright uh, difficult news... It, let it be among friends who you can share and relate and and sort of know that the experience is one that's recognized by the person you're sharing it with. Uh, I'm speaking about some breaking news that we received today, and it was one of the first announcements I saw on my phone when I woke up this morning. It stunned me. This was a major figure in most cinema for uh, my childhood into my young adult, into my whatever adult phase I'm in now. Uh, and I'm talking about the passing uh, of the legendary Sean Connery, who at 90 is no longer with us and leaves behind a, a legacy of amazing work on film from iconic characters like James Bond, who in many ways I think he defined, to so many others. Um, Brett, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're moved by this story as well, sir. I'm curious about what your thoughts were and what you'd like to say in response.
1: Yeah, this this is a a huge loss. Um, you, know, I, you know, I did not realize he was 90 years old. So that's you know that's that's that part is really amazing. And, and it seems like thinking back on it, he's been out of the public light for a while now. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope that, you know, in these final years, he got to spend uh, a lot of time with with friends and family and focusing on the things in life that are really important. And by all accounts, he he has. I mean, he was so iconic uh, from The Untouchables, loved him in that. Uh, and I thought he was not only the best bond, but he was the best part of <laughs> a legal extraordinary gentleman. He was the only thing that made that movie worth watching really um so many you know so many uh, amazing roles it would be we could do a whole podcast just on on the characters that he's played but he leaves such you know such an incredible legacy so it's just we were just you know lucky to have him and lucky to have him as bond and and all these iconic characters so he you know he definitely definitely will be missed uh steve what was your take
2: a national treasure, obviously in the UK, he's extremely beloved, uh, a proud Scott um, to his dying day. And like you quite rightly said, both of you, the first Bond, um, the template that all others to some extent or other followed. He wasn't the first choice. I don't know if you know that That he, uh, Roger Moore was actually the first choice for Bond, but he was tied to playing the Saint. But I don't think Bond would be what he is today if Moore had gone first, because because I'm a bit of a Bond purist I actually did read the books before I saw any of the films because I was too young um, to see the movies uh, because they had a slightly adult tinge to them so I did actually see Sean Connery on TV as Bond though I was grow I grew up in the uh, Roger Moore era but I said I've read the books and Bond to me always had that dark edge. he was more of a broken character and I think that Connery personified that far better than almost anyone who's preceded him for me Roger Moore was a man of his era again they all portrayed a, a part of their times and Connery has been criticized in late years because he is a man of a different era his views were possibly a little bit old-fashioned but his body of work is what we should be talking about because as an, as an actor he was one of the best there is one of the best sorry there was um not just for Bond for me the his portrayal of Ramirez in the first two Highlander movies, and his iconic role as Indiana Jones's father in Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, even though he's only 12 years older than Harrison Ford, um, is iconic and one of my favorite roles he's ever done. I'm a huge fan of Bond, I'm a huge fan of Sean Connery, and the industry has lost one of its true, true greats. Um, So, our love to and sympathies to his son, Jason, an actor himself, and to all those women, of course, his family and everyone who knew him. It's, it's a sad day for the, for, the, for the industry, it really is. What did you think, Seth?
0: Heartbreaking. Just, I mean, I remember the moment that Sean Connery became... So definitive in my mind. And it was growing up, I would only see the Roger Moore versions of James Bond on television, Uh, local. um, I can't think of what the name at the time was, but TV house, TNT and TBS would have these Bond um, just marathons. And I remember watching Roger Moore and and I loved just, you know, the cheeky smile and the smooth and my dad ruined it for me because he said, Yeah, I was like Connery better. He offered that rugged side for me that was just, you know, something and I was like, What? And then after that, every time Connery came on, I could just I could just see that like shining through. The guy just he just, his stature alone when he appeared on screen, from that moment, it was always something that stuck with me. I, I do agree with you, Steve, that there are some elements that came with that that didn't age as well and, you know, uh, reflect a different time when things were done differently, things were said differently. And it, it didn't have the ability to, to transcend and it certainly um, created some issue and some conflict. But Overall, his body of work, what he brought to each role, Brad, as you so well pointed out, what made The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen a movie that I would finish was the fact that he was so great as uh, Mr. Quartermain. And and he brought that gravitas every time. I didn't even love the Camelot while well, he did uh, a few movies, but the uh, first night with Richard Gere, I was not a huge fan in any way, but he's in it. And I'm going to watch it. And there were a few others that, that fell into that. But the amount of things that he did, the way he defined characters for me, is something that I think is hard-pressed to be matched by anyone I look around in theater or in films right now. And I'm hopeful because I think there are always others who can rise up and, and offer that same set of qualities. But in the combination he brought, I, I think that's one of those rare gems. We We had it. We were lucky enough to experience it and we'll note the difference now that it's no longer in our lives Um, thank you both for extremely generously kind words i i hope that the longer we keep remembering his name we, we give him the opportunity to stave off that that you know second death and attain and maintain that uh that eternal quality that comes with people always remembering who you are the work you did I, I'm stunned by his connection to DC Comics when I you know, was thinking about his passing, about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and then this story that, that just blew my mind regarding the rights of Dr. No and National, or I'm sorry, uh, <coughs> the uh, National and DC Comics in the early days, and just that feeling of wondering, like, what? What else can be uncovered that I, I might sort of get a kick out of? This was a, a little bit of history that sort of softened the blow because it, it added a, a different texture to what I thought I knew about Dr. No. Brad, I was curious what you thought about
1: that story. <laughs> it's amazing that that Dr. No uh, uh, adaption came out uh, actually before the movie. And it, so no wonder it didn't really go over very well. That and those that, that, that kind of classics illustrated style with the typeset and everything like that, that that can also strike I think readers as a little bit off putting. So that didn't that that's another thing that didn't surprise me that made it, you know, not go over so well. But it also kind of makes me want to, you know, just for a, like a historical relic to to find this issue somewhere and, and check it out. So yeah, it's kinda of interesting story. Steve, what was your tick?
2: Yeah, the issue Bond when it was first released, um, because it was released when when the film came out in the UK and in Europe rather than in the US. So most people in America thought, huh, Dr. No, what's this? Because Bond wasn't a thing then. This was the first Bond movie. And anyone who didn't read the books probably just looked past it. And it was disguised, quite rightly, as you said, Brad as a showcase so people thought oh this was probably just some ancient novel but i don't really want to touch where are my superheroes but that book now is probably worth its weight in gold and it, it, it's really funny that back then because it was the first bond movie no one paid it much attention and I thought oh, no bond will probably not be a very successful comic book and then decades later pe- people like Andy Diggle have made some absolutely tremendous James Bond comics which I would happily recommend to anybody but if you're one of the lucky ones it's got that old National Periodicals um old DC copy of Dr. No double bag it poly bag it board it up keep it safe because now you have a tried and true collector's item in your hands and if you do own a copy I am extremely extremely jealous. Seth, what did you make of it?
0: I think I was just struck by the sort of confluence of events that led up to it. You know, the idea that it's first published over in Britain, that it it it's available, but that they want to extend that to the American audience. And well, how do we find someone who will you know, <laughs> be a part of this, and suddenly here's National, the predecessor to DC. You know, just sort of, <laughs> hi, hi, how are you? Well, we'll pick up these rights, and and it, it it bombs. And and now, as you pointed out so rightly, Steve, it's uh, you know, it's this thing where if you had the chance to get your fingers on it, this piece of history that was, you know, essentially sort of glanced at and said, eh, what's that going to be, really? What's what's that? <laughs> And Brad, I am curious too. I would I would love to get my hands on a copy, glance through it and just sort of, you know, smile at the fact that this is this moment in history that it, it didn't have the relevance it was, you know, going to eventually have now, but it, it also had this feeling of uh just <laughs> A period in time where, I, as I looked at the cover, I was listening to what you were saying. I thought, no, yeah, that probably would be a little off-putting. Yeah, there's some lettering. There's some, you know, uh, depictions where you just sort of pause and go. There, There's a time when that could be attempted and tried and even done, and, and a time when it no longer fits. Um, overall, it just sort of, you know, threw me with this connection to D.C. where I just sort of smiled and went, really? Okay. What else am I going to discover that's new? Luckily, whenever I'm doing one of these shows with you guys, I come across something else. And it, it for me, just sort of lightened a little bit and softened the blow. You know, uh, I think we'll probably have moments where we can look back and we'll continue to on the career of Sean Connery. But knowing that, you know, he had this tangential connection to DC Comics through Dr. No, through James Bond was a... Uh, uh, Really fun trip down history for me, and again, sort of softened things a bit. Just gave me a sense of time and perspective, and I think that's one of those things we can look forward to. Almost every story we're talking about, we're, we're talking about it in the now, but the relevance it it has one now, and it could have even more later on. We're going to move into all of our categories now for episode 92. We're going to start things off with movies, move things on into TV and streaming, finish it up with a little bit of comic news. And leading us off in the movie news category is a bit of fashion advice. And Brad, I'm on a speaker. This is somewhat akin to radio, but I'm looking at you. You can't see it, but I'm looking (laughs) at you, Brad, because Anne Hathaway has given some very thoughtful advice to Zoe Kravitz regarding Catwoman and how to wear, how to, you know, uh, portray Catwoman and the costume and everything else that goes with that. Brad, I'm looking at you. You feeling okay? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What's your thoughts, my friend?
1: Uh, You know, I I think beyond the... um, beyond the fashion (laughs) part of it, I I think that she is onto something when she's saying, you know, you have to ignore what everybody else is saying, because, you know, each actor is going to have their approach to the character that is different. And each director is going to have the approach to the character that's different, too. So you kind of have to find that middle ground. And in that middle ground is where you can find some kind of truly, uh, you know, universal aspects of the character. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that what we've seen of the Batman so far, I think that, that it, it uh, you know, if she does, if Zoe Kravitz does dig deep in herself and, and doesn't listen to anybody else, we're going to get a really, a really good, good, uh, rendition of Catwoman because so far, what what we've seen has been great we haven't even seen that much of her yet so yeah and you know fashion wise look anything is better than than Halle Berry's costume the second the second <laughs> I knew you were that, doing that <laughs> I have to go back to it because that was the worst comic co- comic character costume in a movie I've ever seen I mean hands down and as soon as I saw that that you know when they released the pictures of Halle Berry in the costume before the movie came out, and I thought, man, this is going to be good, this is not going to be good, and <laughs> it was not so. Yeah, um, you know, if, if if Zoe Kravitz stays in the uh, like beanie face mask cutout look that she has in the trailer, that is still so much better than, than Halle Berry. So that's, that's that's my take on that, Steve. <laughs>
2: Um, far be it for me to disagree from our fashion icon, our our leader, our hero, but I actually think that Halle Berry looked fantastic and it was a fantastic costume. It was a terrible Catwoman costume. Well,
1: maybe there you go, there you go. Fabulous. Oh, don't get me wrong, she looked great in it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. yep
2: definitely but no you're quite right it was a terrible catwoman costume but i i I could quite happily look at it for a while but i digress um yes um it's brilliant that anne hathaway said um my advice to you is uh don't listen to anybody else's advice so by that standard she shouldn't listen to Anne Hathaway's advice and listen to everybody else's (laughs) advice I don't know it's just a weird one but I agree completely I think the best thing she should do is just be herself and go with her instincts because that tends to be the best decision and I'd like to offer a piece of advice to Zoe Kravitz and that is read more comics that's the best way to get at your feel and your take on Catwoman. Um, I can't wait to see this film. Like you said, Brad, what little we've seen so far has got me very happy. So yeah, can't wait to see her. What did you make of it, sir?
0: How can I argue with our fashion man, Mister Brad? Like, come on. I mean, really, what what what, what am I thinking here? I, I simply I I could try, but then there's failing. In a very embarrassing way, Brad, uh, without question, my friend, if even if it's simply that mask that we see in the trailer, this simple cutout, that's going to be better than the version you were describing. And yes, I I do believe that Halle Berry has the elegance to pull off anything. What she was pulling off in her Catwoman was not a Catwoman costume. It was a costume, but it wasn't a Catwoman costume. And I love this advice. Don't listen to advice. And then if you are going to listen to advice, I love that the quote mentions the fact that each version of the character is specific to the director, which sounds so much like something you would want to keep in mind if you are going to go on and read more comics. Right, guys? Like, uh, think of every version of Catwoman that you've seen. How many are there, by the way? Go ahead and just try and list. How many different versions of Catwoman are there?
2: There were three in the 60s TV show to start with.
0: Right, but in comics, how many have Oof, emulated blimey. that version? How many have changed little twits, little Between bits purple, of it just paper. from the ears? Right, so you've got so many possibilities. I would say read through the comics, and as you are, what elements feel like they are elements of Catwoman that match with you or that you want to honor on screen? That would sort of, I think, lead you into that, that character's personality and all of the elements that, that you would... I guess want to recapture and or to capture and then recreate on screen. I, I think you have so much to choose from. You, you shouldn't really be listening to anyone specific and just sort of non-smelling. Like, that's a that's great advice. Thanks. That's really great advice. I'm gonna do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you you take what works. You you leave behind what doesn't. But more importantly, make the character your own. And from what I've seen. That's already something that's happening. So that's something we can already continue to look forward to. Now, there will be more fashion talk along the way. I don't know if it falls into any of the set pictures. I'll let Brad and Steve take that part. But we do, 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 do have new set pics from the Batman. Brad, Steve, what was your take on this, Brad? I'm starting with you.
1: Oh, man, I'm heading right to fashion on this one because I really want the Welcome to Gotham sticker that's on the – looks like a bridge embutment of some sort. <laughs> I want that on a T-shirt, and I want the Rotten Gotham uh, picture also on a T-shirt. They would make great T-shirts. So if anybody who is listening can make that happen, I would buy both. Um, but, yeah, this – I just love everything that we're seeing from this. The The look and the feel of it all is just – you know amazing and i it's just hyping me up for this so much so yeah I, I i really dug these pictures and i'm glad that you know there hasn't been any more delays on the production we're still it seems like we're cooking with gas so that is really nice to see as well
2: steve everything you just said Brad. go and work for mondo get these t-shirt people to make the t-shirts because you said so and I will back you up 100% (laughs) totally absolutely yeah this stuff is really cool uh the Liverpool filming was awesome what I've seen coming from Chicago is awesome the set pics are terrific um the the reference of of the strange drug which may or may not be related to Riddler and to Scarecrow all has me very very excited so um everything about this film just seems to be making me happy right now it's going to have to do something terrible for me, not to like it, because right now everything I'm seeing coming from the sets is making this particular bat fan smile like the Joker.
0: What about you, Seth? The drops are getting my attention. <laughs> the stop drops, stuff like that. Um, man, Brad, I, I love you on the uh, the uh, the idea behind that bumper sticker. I, I love this Fear City image that's in one of the pictures mm-hmm. and uh, the Gotham Transit
1: Authority. Like, yeah, get that on a sweatshirt for me right I, now. I would. Yeah. The, the Welcome to Fear City, I would also love on a T-shirt um, back in the 70s when New York was really, really rough. Somebody made these little pamphlets that said Welcome to Fear City on it with a skull and they would hand it out to people when they would arrive uh, at Port Authority to show you how dangerous the city is and that was (laughs) definitely a throwback to that so yeah that's definitely another one that i would want on a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt
0: so yeah just that feeling and then there's just something absolutely creepy you know um about those those sort of images and then also uh in the, the the links that were in this story there was one that i clicked on it was showing these like Digital banners the stop drops, which seems like a really ominous suggestion to something that could be coming um, Just a lot of great little like teasers in here that make you just wonder how will this play out later? When will I remember this when I'm watching the movie? How will it look different on that screen and and with that context now? Because in this montage or in this moment It feels like one thing, but you know how the story always adds something more to it once you you see it in context so great teasing, great way to just sort of like let us all feel, hey, you're closer. Want to know how much closer? Here, take a look. And sometimes there's nothing better than just showing someone something And I love the fact that more and more we're getting this feeling of you don't have to cloister it all. You don't have to hide it all away. You can give a little bit of hint and you're rewarded for it. Like you look at all that free press, just for just for showing us some stuff. In fact, we're gonna talk a little bit more about who's been showing us some stuff. Simply with the fact that Zack Snyder sharing a little set picture for us to drool, question, speculate over. Brett, what was your response to that, my
1: friend? I'm glad to to see this picture because I had my doubts with all. The news coming out of everybody that's coming back for reshoots and things like this. I was kind of figured that because of COVID, something would happen where this would get delayed and pushed back because, you know, they would have to delay these reshoots. But this, like with the Batman, it seems like this production's moving full speed ahead. So it's good that Zach is sharing these photos and, you know keeping the hype going because you know that i don't think the hype's died since they since they announced it so yeah i'm glad to see this you know trucking along steve
2: everything you just said um it's moving along and it's moving along in a positive way and every time i hear that another actor from the original productions joining it and uh to the case in point where even more Joker scenes because I do believe that I know it divided audiences terribly I do actually really like um, Neto's portrayal particularly after having read Three Jokers and seeing the original criminal aspect of the Joker as seen in Batman number one back in 1940 he is much more that Joker that silent Joker that when he laughs be scared rather than Joko's consistently laughing I I really enjoyed his his much more nuanced performance it wasn't over the top and in Suicide Squad it's even said that most of his best stuff was cut so what we didn't see wasn't even what David Ayer wanted us to see so I'm happy with every casting choice I'm happy the production's moving on I'm happy going to be a four-hour TV event rather than just a big movie. And when people say, well, listen, if he's got to do all these reshoots, then the Snyder Cut was never finished in the first place. People, think about this. For it to be the Snyder Cut, he has to film it the way he wanted to film it. What we got was the reshoots that Joss Whedon and Warner Brothers gave us. That was not the Snyder Cut, clearly, because it was someone else's shots. And what did we get in that? Mustache Gate and Muppet Steppenwolf. Please, let the man make the film he wanted to make because that is the Snyder Cut. It wasn't completed. Special effects needed to be filmed, and the reshoots he wanted to do, he didn't do. So, everything I'm seeing, just like we said with the Batman, yeah, count me in. I'm invested. What about you, Seth?
0: I think it's great news about the reshoots. I think it's really important. Uh, I love the fact that, you know, the Joker has been added to those reshoots so we can see how he was supposed to appear in Justice League originally. And I love this follow-up story we have just, you know, about how, you know, David Ayer responded to all that um, quick go around as far as, you know, what you guys thought about that little bit of news before we shift on over,
1: Brad? Yeah, I I am all for these characters all coming back, even if it is Jared Letters, Joker, who most people didn't like. Um, because I I'm kind of hoping that, this, in some ways, can tie up in a bow all this, you know, all the DCEU stuff, you know, and we can continue on with these films. Uh, and on another side, I'm glad that he's coming back because maybe we will get the uh, the new cut of Suicide Squad and maybe we'll see his Joker in another light if there is indeed all this footage that we haven't seen. So uh, I, I'm all for the redemption of Jared Leto to Joker in people's eyes. Uh Steve?
2: Yeah, exactly that. Let's see the performance the man gave rather than just see part of it, just see a portion of it that was what the studios decided they wanted us to see. Um We've said it a million times before. I've always been a fan of Advocate. of let the artists create their art, let the director tell their story, let the actors portray the role as they wanted to. We saw a truncated version of Justice League. We saw a truncated version of Suicide Squad. And apparently most of Leto's best stuff was on the cutting room floor. Um, he's a talented actor. I've liked him in everything else I've seen him in. I did not hate his portrayal of the Joker. So if there's a chance to see more and he can redeem himself in the larger public's eyes, then more power to him and more power to the filmmakers because I want to see art that's unsullied, uncensored, unrestricted as it was meant to be seen. Um, What about you, Seth?
0: I love that the story references that the tweet was two hands up. (laughs) Like, you know, just that simple little goal that you put up when you're playing paper football with your friends. (laughs) Exactly. It's just those, here you go. Like, goal. Goal. You know, what else can you say about it except great opportunity and that you've got a creator celebrating it, too, and saying, I think this is a great call. It should be done. And for the reasons that you were just pointing out, Steve, you know, that it was truncated, that we can now see both versions, that we can hopefully get to see all of what we were meant to see originally the first time around. And it sounds like uh, for this new version of Suicide Squad that we'll be getting, That's certainly something we won't have to worry about with a story that points out that the Suicide Squad had more construction than any other Warner Brothers film ever. Now, that sounds like one thing on the surface, but as you guys were reading this story, Brad, I'll start with you first. What was your take on this announcement and does it fuel greater speculation, more intrigue or something else about this new Suicide Squad movie we're watching?
1: Uh, you know, some of my favorite art is art that strikes me as having a definite vision and a focus of what it wanted to do and say and knew how it was going to do that. And the fact that James Gunn made all these sets makes me think that he definitely had a certain vision that he wanted, um. Or else he would just find it out in the world instead of something that he would want to create with all these sets. And the fact that there were so many sets created, it makes me think that this is going to be huge and over the top. And and also what he has said before that this is kind of the biggest movie he's ever made. So and given that how large the cast is, this is just going to be a complete a complete knock them down, drag him out movie that I'm just I'm, I'm super excited for this too. Not quite as much as the Batman, but almost as much. Uh, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. It's because
2: if he's built this in the real world, the actual live sets, it's just going to add a lot more depth, believability and, and reality to the whole production. I mean, let's be honest and think back to the original Star Wars trilogy of the late 70s and early 80s. The fact that most of that was physically there is why those films have aged, in my opinion, a lot better than the prequels, which were primarily shot on green screens and where the CGI, where it may have been groundbreaking and innovative at the time, hasn't aged that well. Anything with practical and real effects, to me, just looks and feels more real. And if that's the way Guns approached Suicide Squad, his version of the Suicide Squad, then I'm all for it biggest sets ever made wow that's that's impressive um like you said as well brad with the batman the trailer we saw was basically just the raw footage they had cut together with no cgi and no digital enhancement and the reason that trailer knocked people out was how brilliant it looked despite that despite not having all that glitz and digital um jiggery pokery added to it so if that's what we're going to get with the suicide squad a lot less cgi a lot less fakery and a lot more realism then that just makes me really really happy because i'm a fan of the old school give me thunderbirds that are actual uh, models on strings over the cgi version any day no matter how much better written and acted the cgi version is so uh
0: yeah cool um i want to see more what about you seth I thought this was really interesting. I remember when uh, 300 came out and there was this huge sort of response to the way that that was shot. And I think they used like one bucket of fake blood. and, And for a movie of that type, you would have to use all of this other, you know, gallons upon thousands of gallons and how the CGI and the digital approach was now allowing for this freedom. And now here we are so many years later sort of saying Well, there's something still to be said for the physical set. And I think Gunn said it best, which was it sort of just bummed me out to be spending three weeks on a set that is just a few painted purple rocks, which does sound like if you're creative that, you know, that wouldn't be that enjoyable. And instead, this is a big film with practical sets. And you guys are right. I mean, Steve, when when that trailer dropped, it was phenomenal how much of that landscape looked so tangible. You you thought to yourself like, wait a minute, this is a place they they discovered it or they built it or they discovered it and they built it. But work was put into this place. It felt so real. And then when the explosion started going off, you you felt like that destruction was even more real, less a computer generated idea. Um, I was really just overall impressed with this investment and the decision. And it sounds like it was just part of many um wire-cutting decisions that James Gunn was part of, or crucial decisions, perhaps. And I'm saying that to feed into our next story, which uh, surprises me a little bit, with the knowledge that the uh, decision to helm both Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy was really much closer than we might have been aware of.
1: Brad, what was your take on this story, my friend? Man, hats off to James Gunn that he was able to... Complete both. Well, not complete, but say yes and work on both of these. Um, you know, COVID might have helped that out considerably. Um, I, I, and I'm glad he didn't turn either one down. I'm glad he didn't come back and say, I can't do Suicide Squad. I mean, one day after, that's crazy. So, you know, good for, good for him and good for fans of both franchises that he was able to do both. Because the the Guardians movies are some of my favorite Marvel movies, so and I don't think they would be still if he wasn't around for the third one. So um yeah, I'm just I'm just glad that he was able to do both. Steve, 24 hours, 24 hours. That is
2: just insane. And like you say, Brad, kudos to the guy because that must have been daunting as hell. He's coming off arguably. The, the the most popular um, pair of movies out of the Marvel universe, with the two Guardians movies, hugely entertaining. Star Wars for a new generation with superheroes, hilarious, action packed, best soundtracks ever, awesome. Then he gets booted off. DC come along, offer him Superman. He goes, nah, I'm not really Superman guy and a guy. Um, what about Suicide Squad? Boom, and then twenty. 24 hours later marvel asking back and he's going to keep all of this under his hat dude kudos for the work ethic and kudos for being able to keep a secret because amazing i think that's absolutely stunning that's actually one of the most uh i hope pieces of news i've received in weeks um i loved reading that and uh like you say brad two films i am dying to
0: see what about you seth I think you both really just sort of nailed it with the fact that this is someone who has been so instrumental on two separate canvases. I mean, the MCU is one beast altogether. DC Universe is another beast altogether. To leave one, take another, and then get asked for the other 24 hours. I mean, it's one of those things where at some point you go, someone's getting this all down. Right? Is any Because you're not relying on me. I'm the guy in the middle of it. And the best I can do is hope to remember this. And, you know, I'm human. Like, we, we should be documenting this. Because <laughs> this is one of those stories that just made me chuckle when I was, like, thinking to myself. We're going to be having a bit of a laugh as we talk about this. Just the idea of what are the could have been? At some point, what will be the other details? Where some assistant's like, yeah, you know, that call almost never happened. Or... <laughs> some other element that we can add into the mix and it just seems to uh compound and expand the uh the mythos that is growing with the name james gunn i uh i hope we get to see just you know how much wilder it can get because i i feel like As long as this guy is hot and as long as he is able to do these amazing things, it's just going to be more and more people clamoring for him to put his unique stamp on great projects and for all of us to be happier for it. And I think that's a great way for us to break out of the movie news section and transition into TV and streaming. And with that, we have uh, a little bit of an announcement regarding, well, the CW. And its mid-season premiere schedule. A few things of note on there, but why would you hear them from me when you've got Brad and Steve? Brad, what did you take away from this uh, announcement? What were the highlights for you, my friend?
1: Uh, I I'm just really glad that we have dates for these. Uh, you know, once again, it's one of those things where things are moving again, and that's really great to see. And it's going to be a really packed January and February. Um, you know, I, I like that we're going to get Superman and Lois premiering right after The Flash on February 23rd. That's going to be a that's going to be a big day because um, I'm, I'm looking forward to to both of those. So and we're going to be getting, you know, like a little bit before that, we're going to be getting Black Lightning on February 8th. So that's great to see that coming back. So so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And of course. I think the big one is going to be the the Batwoman on uh, January 17th because that's, you know, a lot of us are wondering exactly what's going to happen with the season and how they're going to pull it off. So in the grand scheme of things, we don't have that too, you know, that long to wait till we find this all out. So what was your take, Steve?
2: Exactly the same. It's exciting to see these shows coming back. And it's literally only weeks away now. We're into November tomorrow. So, December and January, boom, new CW shows. It's a little bit of sweet um, because while I'm dying to see all these shows return, I do miss seeing the word arrow on these schedules. But um, hey, um, what are you can do, we're losing one, but we're getting Superman and Lois. So, with uh, the rough gums, the smooth, I guess we've got to take it as it comes out. But um, I'm really excited for that new show. And to see how well that does, I'm going to miss Supergirl when it ends after this season. But it's exciting seeing these. And I'm also excited, actually, because I've seen that Walker, the new version of Walker, Texas Stranger, starring Jared Padalecki of uh, Supernatural fames also coming up. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one as well. Not DC related, but hey, I'm a Supernatural fan, too. So that's my take on it. Yeah, really excited. Um, going to miss Mr. Ramel. And the rest of the Arrow crew, but um, everything else looks to be very cool indeed. What about you, Seth?
0: I'm gonna be completely honest. I I was totally sidetracked by the one for January 12th, which is a show called Trickster, and my brain couldn't stop going. They wouldn't do a Trickster show, would they? Would they really do a show yes, with the? Yes, right? Like my brain, like, uh, you know, rabbit hole, like it was that fast, like there were carrots tumbling and I was tumbling and all of it looked glorious. And, and I just had to pull myself back for a minute and go, that's not, is it? Did we miss something? Is there? No. What is it? Why am I so? Knock it off. Yes, Brad. uh, Great, great possibilities here. I mean, I, I was really I honestly thought to myself, what does it mean that Batwoman shows up on January 17th and February 8th is Black Lightning? For some reason, I feel like there could be a really great feed into the other. Um, I feel like it would be really fun if at some point we established really quickly um, an, an interesting connection that can be a great thread for these shows. I, I know that there's this like feeling that it's, you know, not what it used to be after the amazing crisis. And then now, after we've sort of gone through this pandemic pause, I think it's great that we've got new shows on. I love that it's got my brain tickled, especially on the imagination side of of what we're going to get to see. And, and you guys brought up some great points. You know, we 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 are missing Arrow. But we are also getting a new Superman show, a Superman and Lois show, a show we've talked about with some really interesting possibilities and a lot of anticipation for what that's going to look like when it appears. And, of course, we get flashback and following right behind that Superman and Lois. I think it's great to see all this. I I do agree, Steve. You know, it will be uh, another change when Supergirl eventually leaves this ranks. And hopefully we'll get some updates for both that and Legends of Tomorrow because Sarah getting, you know, Well, not giving any spoilers in case you might not have seen the recent seasons of Legends of Tomorrow, but I can't wait to see their dates pop on here as well. And overall, to echo what I, I felt both of you were saying, this feeling of actually getting the chance to have dates and things to look forward to, like great shows that we've had to wait for as life has sort of adjusted to what our new reality is for the present. Uh, So there was a lot of great feeling coming out of it. And it's not the only television news to anticipate, to get excited about. Brad, we've got more fashion. Can you feel me looking at you? It's okay. Just (laughs) wait for it. It's going to be like hairs tickling on the back of your neck. Why am I pointing this out to Brad? Because Titans, you know it. I know it. We love it just gave us a glimpse first there was the teaser a little while back like a day or two before this story came and it was our boy on a motorcycle but now we're actually seeing him in red hood costume flicky fashions tell me what you're thinking
1: uh i, I like his pants better than connor's uh, i can say that better jeans <laughs> <laughs>
3: So, wow! So it's game. not going to be
0: a jeans <laughs> gate, huh? Okay, we have avoided jeans gate. Well done, sir. Well done.
1: But uh, yeah, I, I I like the look. It's um it's tactical, but also kind of organic and street level and pretty true to the comics. So I think they did a, a really a really good job, and it does have that kind of Titans feel. So yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to this. Uh, Steve, what was your take? Holy comic book, accurateastic
2: Batman! Yeah. yeah. I love it. It's completely, completely red hood straight off the pages of your favorite comic. That's all I have to say. It looks great. I mean, obviously these are still artist renderings, but um having seen what they did with Nightwing at the end of season two, having seen Deathstroke, having seen everything else um, that they've pulled out of the bag in this show, this looks sick as i cannot wait to see mr jason todd facing the titans rather than being one of them and whether they follow the joker story or not which it doesn't look like they will um red hood's going to be a character to be reckoned with at the very least according to my man brad whose wisdom knows no bounds at least in a fashion sense oh boy he's looking good what did you think, Seth?
0: They're not a pair of jeans. They're not even a nice pair of jeans. But Follicky Fashions has stated they're an appropriate pair of pants. And very tactical. I mean, I can say to date I've never worn a pair of pants to which two holstered guns were attached right at the thigh. Um, <laughs> the rest of it, Steve, you're, you're right on, my friend. I mean, this is to a T... It's 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 peeled right off of the uh, I almost feel like they got like those. Uh, it was like the shrink forms things and you could like color and paint them. and You put them in the oven and they, they shrink down. It was just sort of like they took one of those and they stretched it back out. And they went, here you go, Curran, Mr. Walters, <clears throat> your costume, sir. Um, the only thing I do notice about this and it's weird, but for some reason it changes the way I perceive his height. It feels like in these artist renderings, like the hood starts out really big and then the rest of them kind of tapers down from it, which was an interesting thing for me. It made me just sort of look at and then I realized, hey, I'm going to see it differently when I see it on the person. Um, But it's just a a stunningly accurate portrayal. And I think it's going to be really interesting how they transition from his disappearance at the end of season two and his journey And whatever he goes upon to come back as this version of Red Hood that we'll see in Titans, I think it's another one of those things that just what's the palate. Like, so many people are going to be excited to pick up that new season and see what this looks like. And that's not the only image for us to get excited about on the TV and streaming news side. We've also got a bit of imagery to enjoy, some fashion to fawn over, Brad. This is all about you, my friend. We have us the uh, the Batwoman costume for season two. What was your takes, my friend?
1: I I love it. Uh, I love the red highlights in her hair to go with the gauntlets and the utility belt and the red bat symbol and the red flourishes on the cape. Uh, it's It's perfect. I yeah, I I, I love it. And this is, you know, I I keep fawning over things this episode, but this is just making me more excited for for the second season. I think that um, it's going to surprise a lot of people and really blow a lot of people away. Um, You know, if I saw Halle Berry's costume and thought it's not going to be a good movie, I'm seeing this and thinking this is going to be a good season. Uh, of television so steve what was your take exactly that the additional red
2: on the gauntlets the belt and in the lining of the cape looks absolutely fantastic in fact it's probably more comic book accurate than the costume that ruby rose wore in season one Uh, and that was pretty damn great too I love the cut of the mask around the jawline, the fact it's actually a little bit more disguising as to who she is, and the hair is completely different to Chibisha's. Um I'm man enough to admit when I'm wrong, and I thought I could never embrace a Batwoman that wasn't Kate Kane. But with every picture, every Batmobile, every costume design, every piece of enthusiasm I'm seeing from the lead actress, the fact that they are carrying on the story, we are gonna see Hush in disguise as Bruce Wayne, we are still gonna see Luke Fox, we are still gonna see uh Mary Hamilton Kane means that I'm actually really truly invested in season two. So bring it on. The costume looks badass, the actress looks badass, the season sounds action packed and interesting as hell. Yeah, sign me up. I'll admit it, I was wrong. I'm going to give season two a much bigger shot than I was uh, originally thinking I was going to. So, yeah, looking forward to this one. What about you, Seth?
0: All I'm going to say is if there's a greater authority on Batwoman out there, I simply don't want to know about it. Steve, you are my Batwoman source and... If you had doubts, which you were very honest about expressing, and those have since been changed and, you know, you're as inspired crushed. as I can hear it in your voice, then I am, of course, even more so intrigued, encouraged, and flicky fashions, guys. Way to nail it down. Some of those great elements, Brad, you pointed out with the red. Steve, you echoed it. The uh, the gonglets, the uh, the tinge to the cape. And the one thing that really sticks with me, the first image felt like her trying on the Batwoman costume. This feels like her making it her own. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah, that moment absolutely. when you, you know that someone's wearing a, uh, a costume that was designed, but probably not designed for them. And now you feel like this is more of them saying, OK, I tried that and it's nice. Here's how I made it better. Here's how I make it work for me. And I feel like that sense of identity really comes through in this version. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, uh, Javisio Leslie has really created an iconic image for me that to me, uh, I feel like I'm I'm just, you know, restating what Brad, you and Steve have so much more eloquently stated. But she's demonstrating for me, this is Batwoman. And when I hear the name Batwoman, this is what I'm going to be picturing in my mind from now on. And I can't think of a, a greater feeling looking forward to this. New season. And based on the, you know, the heartening encouragement I'm hearing from both of you, I think fans are also going to pick that up and going to be excited to see uh, what we have to look forward to. We've got one final piece of TV streaming news, and then we'll shift it on over for an ad break and then a little bit about comics. So, what would be the best news for us to drop in on? Well, if we're going to wrap it up, let's wrap it up with a show and characters and more good things to look forward to. Brad, what did you think about this announcement that Stargirl has cast both Eclipso and The Shade for season two?
1: Uh, I, I'm not super familiar with either of the actors' works. I, I did watch the, you know, I, the first two seasons of uh, The Expanse. I do have to catch up on that. And uh, I, I did like them. But I... You know, Eclipso is a great villain uh, and it's great to see him there. But I was so excited to see that Shade is going to be coming to the show because I always thought of the Shade as kind of whoever holds that staff, Stargirl, Starman, Shade is their Joker. They're like main villain. And it, it brought me back to Starman in the 90s. Uh, shade was probably one of my favorite DC villains in the 90s because of that Starman um, series and it's great to see that character come back to be a villain for stargirl because you know it's because stargirl seems to be on such a good trajectory they're, I'm sure they're gonna do amazing things with that character and it's um, it, it's shade is definitely such an important part of um like I said, whoever holds that staff, they're rogues gallery. So I'm so glad that Shade is is coming to uh, to the show. Uh, Steve, what do you think?
2: Oh, really excited. Um, I, I like you, but I'm not too familiar with the actors but who doesn't know eclipso in the shade i mean eclipso is is one of dc's all-time ultimate big bads the the character that can bring the dark side out of anybody your evil within you is unleashed when eclipso is around and the shade a, a master of manipulating light and shadow and casting darkness upon the world a classic villain i mean seth you'll know this to both the golden age and the silver age flash but who also became a bit more of an anti-hero and a mentor to, to Starman in the comics. So um, this is huge, absolutely huge. Um, because of the... Uh, this is something that Brad and I love about the original season of stargo the whole Justice Society implications, the fact that it's a character that had history with the original Flash and the modern-day Flash is massive, and Eclipse, as I already said, huge, fantastic DC villain, I loved Stargirl season one, and with every little bit of news that's coming out, I am sure that I'm going to love season two even more. Color me excited, even though the darkness is coming.
0: What about you, Steve? Steve, The Shade is one of those characters that longtime Flash fans, longtime JSA fans swore they knew up and down. And then gradually realized they didn't. And Brad, you brought up a wonderful memory for me about Starman in the '90s, uh, and and how we we saw a new side of Shade. And Steve, you you brought up so well the antihero concept, one that I've actually really enjoyed recently portrayed in the Hawkman series by Robert Venditti, which showed him as actually more of a compatriot and an ally to uh, yeah. to our good friend Mister yeah. Carter. And, and even in the journaling by Carter, he mentions that at some point, even during his times in the JSA, during that period, he saw Shade as someone different from the other villains. It was an opportunity, but it was also something that was uh, about a deeper meaning for him. And it was also just a part of who he was, not a defining part of who he was. So, yeah, I'm really intrigued now to see this version uh, that we'll get to see in Stargirl. Stargirl season one. Just it really did a wonderful thing for me. It it hooked me with that opener, with that great pilot. And by the time it came to a close, I thought to myself, okay, you've you've cemented this deal with me. Every episode lifted, challenged, gave me hope and questions and wants and desires. And of course, what's the most dangerous thing with all of those? Eclipso. The one who twists your desires, who knows what they are, who takes even the best intentions and warps them into your darkest, most evil secrets. The one who, you know, corrupted valor, the one who challenged Superman, the one who brought about, you know, the apparent death of a Starman in the 90s uh, annual crossover series they did with him. Eclipso was that really dark, scary abandon hope all ye who enter as that that series opened with that great concept and to see that evil especially in the hands of someone so wicked as cindy ooh, that is not a good person to start off with (laughs) that gem in that person's hands is even more dangerous what we can see what we can hope for and i love that even jeff johns is saying in this article like eclipso is so terrifying you know he's so very different And I love that concept of how he's so different as an antagonist and a villain. These are going to be some great challenges and just part of all the fun and excitement we can look forward to with this new season of Stargirl. And man, um, I'm also curious to see what they're going to, you know, keep from those elements that I knew from my earliest days of reading Flash and and knowing what the history of Shade was with the Flash uh, from its beginning to... the time we know now and what that relationship has been like it's going to be fun to see how those versions are presented on the screen we're going to probably be talking about that and other announcements for great shows like this but we still have this great source material to talk about i'm talking about the comic books so when it comes to the comic books we're going to take a quick ad break come on back around with a few really exciting i think fun stories i'm looking forward to sharing with you and talking about with brad and steve And uh, hang out for just a minute. They'll be right here after this ad break.
3: This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you, and to hear your scores when you share them with us. Right here, on the DC Comics News Podcast. First, there
2: was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came, the Spitter Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the Knight.
0: My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher.
3: Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Madbuck, a Harley Quinn cast. Three, two, one.
2: Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? Harley Quinn? What have we learned from this
1: crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, go And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Cut up the battle i nuts. I definitely do not f*** that. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f*** with Lois Lane. For f***'s sake. I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers. Hmm. Educational and
2: informative
0: Ad break over comic book news on its way. This is the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. I'm hanging out with Brad Falicki and Mr. Steve J. Ray. Now, I figured why not get the unfortunate delay story out of the way first? We can move on to some more fun things. When it comes to delays, the announcement that Catwoman, the Soul Stealer, original graphic novel, is now being delayed three months We've had delay stories in the past. There's been a bit of a lull in them, but they're going to happen from time to time. Uh, what was your take on this announcement, Brad, and any sort of feelings about, you know, what it means that we haven't no. had these delay stories? We got another one.
1: Well, yeah, it's good that we haven't had them, um, other than with Amethyst, I think this is the latest one. Um, you know, what's interesting with this one is that they didn't really try to give a reason. They just said it was delayed. So I'm a little curious why they are delaying this. Um, But it seems, you know, no matter when this comes out, it's going to be a big year for Luke Fox between the possibility of he becoming the new Batman in the John Ridley series and him playing a big part in this story as well. So, yeah, um, it's a bummer, but I think that, um, you know, three months isn't, isn't as bad as it could be. Um, uh, You know, better on June 1st, 2021 than like on October 1st or September 1st or something like that. So, um, you know, and and there's certainly going to be no, um, I mean, we're not going to be wanting for Catwoman and Batman type related stories in 2021. So we'll have plenty of stories to read so hopefully this weight won't be too bad but it is still kind of a bummer uh steve
2: this story does not make me this story makes me but hey like you said brad we're getting it late but we're getting it that's what's more important what i hate is cancellation this book is not coming uh delayed three months we've waited longer uh 10 years for Black Adam movie and 28 years for Miracle Man The Silver Age book three. So, what's what's a couple of months between friends? I can live with it. And, like you said, Brad, uh, December next month, now it's November tomorrow, we're getting the new Tom King, uh, Clayman 12 issue Batman Catwoman miniseries. So, uh, that'll keep me going till the summer and beyond so not happy but hey there's worse things to worry about like stage three lockdown happening in the uk again next week another story but i'm going to shut up now and pass the mic to my brother seth
0: in context this girl story is much less of a girl story certainly i i do um i do note what you pointed out brad yeah the fact that they're there really was just this statement and and that's about it there there wasn't as much about the uh, explanation going with why it's happening we just know that it is and i think if there's one thing that's come out of the pandemic experience that we've all gone through and are experiencing in different stages uh sort of up and down is this feeling of you can't rush any of this stuff like it, it happens on its own time you I have found myself more and more becoming patient with the idea of like, oh, it was supposed to happen and it didn't. Mm, these things happen. <laughs> and beyond that, there's a, simply a feeling of, you know, um, what do we have? And you both pointed out some great Points, Which is between the uh, upcoming Tom King series and so much other activities surrounding Batman and Catwoman, we will have some Catwoman to tide us over and Steve, as you mentioned, delay is not the same as cancellation. So I'm also heartened by that. And I keep in mind the fact how few cancellations we've had. How, uh, you know, the the most recent one, Brad, that you pointed out would be Amethyst. And that for the most part, these don't seem to be a byproduct of something we can't unravel. It just sounds like an issue came up. It's not part of a a chronic issue or an issue where it's constantly repeating and you're seeing this happen across numerous titles. And it's just one of those things where it'll be a couple months late and everyone's still going to be okay. So. Keeping all of that in mind, I felt that it was uh, a nice update, but not something that was heartbreaking or overwhelming or drastically disappointing. And then there was so much more great comic book stories to talk about, like this great one about the fact that DC Future States Immortal Wonder Woman shows off the new adventures of Nubia. I was curious about your thoughts on this Title and what this new little teaser offers for us, Brad. Starting things off with you.
1: Also, any fashion notes you'd like to add for us for this story? <laughs> no pressure. You know, that's what I <laughs> that's what I was going to start off with. And I just I love I love the costume. I love the the sleeves oh, and yeah, yeah it's, it's a great great so costume cool. design. Yeah, man, this this is going to be this future slate stuff is going to be a lot of fun. And um, you know, you guys weren't on last week, but Kelly and I did the news last week and I was saying that these future slate comics are really might be the tipping point that really gets me into digital because I'm going to want to keep up with all of these and you know, and, and doing that retail might not be the easiest thing. Um, so I I'm just excited about all these and these character and, and, Nubia. And I also mentioned this on earlier episodes too, that I, it was a character that I wasn't super familiar with. So it's going to be fun for me to be able to get more familiar with this character through these issues so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it uh steve what do you think exactly that
2: um i'm looking at this design and a it's gorgeous b it's beautifully drawn c it's stunningly colored and as an old school fan with that massive hair and that pose and that jawline does it not really give you a classic 80s 90s john Byrne vibe it's literally a classic Wonder Woman pose like like John Byrne would have drawn in them in his his era of Man of Steel and uh, Wonder Woman when when that first um, inkling of a possible romance between the Man of Steel and, and Diana of the Scare was was announced. This this image is gorgeous. All these other stories I'm seeing the Immortal Wonder Woman range where there's not just Diana, there's a three or four different Wonder Women all there, and the whole fact that we're seeing Diana with a grey streak in her hair, a green lantern ring, and Batman's utility belt, and now Nubia as well. Brad, if you weren't familiar with her before pick these books up and I'm sure you'll love her as much as Kelly and I do because this character is going to kick 11 kinds of butt when Future State hits our spinner racks, our comic book stores, come January. I am dying to read these stories. This art's fantastic. Yep,
0: I'm there. What about you, Seth? This art is stunning. I mean, just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, The costume, like... (laughs) <laughs> i want this costume i'm not even <laughs> hesitating about it like it looks so cool it would suit you um, sir thank you thank you i th- i think it would and you know i'd i'd go through whatever grueling process i'd have to in order to you know make it fit you know all the right ways but it is it is awesome and steve i think you're right on with the the jawline the hair uh, it does remind me of a classic John Byrne take on Wonder Woman, it does remind me of that moment of the two of them soaring above the earth and in that little sort of window of the atmosphere remaining that that tiniest little bit where they're both just really bringing possibility into our minds of what would happen if these two absolutely powerful figures suddenly became more. Um, I love the fact that we're going to get um an unconnected tale that um, isn't really updating, but is often, you know, changing what we know about that. So taking those concepts and also twisting them, but man, if you want to get people's attention, just start putting this image everywhere because I'll be sharing it as much as I can. I think it's phenomenal. I was absolutely blown away and I just found myself thinking how much more can we look forward to and steve as you point out some of this future state stuff that we're hearing more and more about is really suggesting a lot of fun in our future i i think i think i'm gonna have a lot of fun with it i have a feeling you guys are gonna have some fun with me too and if we're gonna keep having some fun why not enjoy a little bit of fun about the uh, tales from the dark multiverse sort of Elseworld-like series we've been enjoying up until now, with a Batman Hush number one and a little bit of a preview. Curious what you guys thought about this glimpse at the upcoming title and uh, what more could be in store inside. Brad, starting with you, my friend.
1: Yeah, I think that the Hush storyline makes a perfect uh, transition to the dark multiverse because these darker stories can get even darker when they're told in this, you know, the dark multiverse. And uh, Hush was definitely kind of a dark story. So, yeah, this is this should be fun. And I've liked the other ones, too. And it makes me curious. This this is probably not the only one of the second run of these dark multiverse series. So I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering what else we're going to see. So hopefully we'll, you know, we'll get an idea of that soon. Uh, Steve, what was your take? absolutely the same the original
2: hush series is one of my all-time favorites i mean jeff Loeb can do no wrong in my book he's written three of the finest batman tales of all time with hush uh long halloween and dark victory so the fact that this is getting the dark multiverse treatment makes me very very happy and when i see anything drawn by dexter soy i get even more happy because this guy i don't know if you've looked at the preview art in this uh, article um it looks awesome because it's pure Dexter Soy. his facial characteristics his body language the way he draws characters at ease not just in action is one of my favorite um aspects of his art he's, he's a brilliant storyteller but he does a fantastic job on these pages of uh homaging and looking at the Jim Lee artwork from the original Hush and you can totally see that it's based on it, but it's still got that lovely scratchy, more um, earthy Dexter soy style to it. So I am excited as hell. I mean, I've already read it because it, it landed in box this morning. It's out on Tuesday, and I may not actually um, assign this to one of my Dark Knight news writers. I might just review this one myself because it looks. Great. Um, Hush, I'm going to shout about you from the rooftops. I will not be silenced.
0: Shh, Steve has
2: spoken. What about you, Seth?
0: Well, I'm going to start out with, folks, you heard it right there. It's a story so good, Steve is not letting it go to his other writers. So, waiting, waiting. Did that sink in? All right. (laughs) Because, yeah, these dark multiverse takes that we've been able to enjoy so far. So far have been phenomenal. Uh, recent things that I've been able to enjoy that that just sort of you know twist what you know and then show you what happens when you take it in a different direction. Philip Kennedy Johnson has been gradually impressing me And I loved what you were saying about Dexter Soy and as I was looking through the images, I thought to myself he's right. It does capture that same atmosphere that you remember from the Jeff Lowe, Jim Lee series. And yet at the same time, it has as much of a personal touch as you would need from the artist in order for it to make them theirs. And man, that's a gift right in and of itself. You know, that that feeling of something that knows where it's referencing and yet at the same time just has that bit of comfort and confidence through it. It, it feels like something that I, I'm i going to enjoy reading. And now that I know that it's in Box and I haven't even glanced at it yet because that's like my Saturday afternoon sort of, you know, relaxation, enjoyment, do a little bit of grading and then I've got some great books to look forward to. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get that grading done, man. I might just have to dive into Box and then, you know, get to it later. Um, And that's not the only story we have to talk about some great art. Our next one is about an all-star assemblage of artists, an homage to the complete Batman the Dark Knight Returns what a collaboration compilation Brad I'm starting off with you but Steve I feel like you have a few things to add as well so Brad what do you got my friend? yeah I'm
1: sure yeah I'm sure Steve has a lot to say <laughs> um I, I think this is a kind of a cool idea I kept like thinking in terms of music like What would happen, you know, and it hasn't been done before in in similar ways, I guess. But if you took like a classic Beatles uh, record, Revolver, Sgt. Peppers and had other really good bands cover the songs, you know, uh, how, you know, how that would turn out. And uh, that's kind of how the feel is for this. The art of Dark Knight Returns is so iconic. It's kind of interesting to see other takes on it. And that was one of the things about the um, animated version of Dark Knight Returns is that it didn't have that Frank Miller art. So it had a completely different feel and it wasn't all bad, but it was just different. So this is just kind of a, it's going to be really cool to see how these, these turn out and how these other artists kind of reinterpret it. Uh, Steve, what was your take?
2: DC take all my damn money. Why don't you? I mean, Wow. It's no secret that Dark Knight Returns is not only one of the greatest comic books, one of the greatest Batman stories of all time, it's one of my all-time favourites. I've got the original four issues, I've got the hardback, I've got the softback collections, and I'm going to get this one too. Why? because Brad, once again, you scooped up my brain and said that the biggest letdown apart from issue four and what the hell happened to the ending about Dark Knight Strikes Again was how awful the art was when compared to uh, Dark Knight Returns. And this art, it's every different shade of comic book. it's, it's, It's artists doing crazy things in their own style, but yet, with the same panel layouts, the same design of the original comics. And I'm looking through some of these, and I'm just grinning from ear to ear like I've lost my tiny little fanboy mind. So I don't care that I'm going to own this book five times now. I really don't, because this version is not like any of the others. That's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it, okay? Enough said. Seth, wow, what would you make of it?
0: I loved what Brad suggested, you know, the idea of other people providing their their covers and their their takes on original classic like the Beatles. And at times I've, I've even noticed when I've enjoyed someone doing like a stripped down version of a classic song and they take something like uh, uh, Beyonce's Crazy in Love I heard an artist named Jasmine Thompson do a very stripped down acoustic version of that. And it sounds in that take so soulful and and imaginative. And that was the thing that came to mind with this is for me, there's this this lovely feeling with Dark Knight Returns that that you've got this this picture of what it looks like. And then when you see someone else do a take on it. It's similar, and yet it's almost like what we were just describing a minute ago with the uh, the Hush series, when someone's showing what their reference point is, showing that source, and then saying, okay, but because I'm not that person, I'm not just trying to copy it, you know, line for line, moment for moment, sweep of the brush for sweep of the brush. It it, it takes on a quality that references, yet at the same time um, makes it wholly original and that sort of feeling from so many great artists. Uh, Steve, uh, we already know that they have your bank account number, the routing number, and all they need is like an eye or retina scan or, or maybe even just like a, a click of an okay on your, your computer or Take smartphone Take in order for email. Email. Take it to. Exactly, like they, they've got you and, and for those of you looking to figure out how to do that for yourselves, you'll need to contact Mr. Steve J. Ray to figure out how DC makes that possible otherwise. You'll have to go online, get it, order it, bug your comic book shop, or until you've had a chance to do all that, slowly freak out over these beautiful images. And that's okay. We're here for you. Send us messages. We tell you at the end of the show how to do it. We'll talk you through it. We've been there. And if we haven't, we've got great experts who have. So you're okay. You're among family. And with that, I want you to be encouraged because we've also gotten a glimpse at All of the Batman titles coming along the way and for quite a stretch into the future. Now, there's a lot to take in here, especially with the fact that as we get into next year, we're talking more and more about the Batman, Catwoman, Future State, so many other interesting and exciting titles. Guys, this was a a lot to digest were there any highlights where you just said, this is the thing I'm going to be talking about on the show afterwards to my friends and in my sleep? Brad, you first, sir.
1: Well, I, uh, I'm i liking that we are getting so much Batman. Uh, it seems like Batman's doing a lot of the heavy lifting in the DC universe now. You just cannot stop Batman and his popularity. He is not going anywhere. And I'm really liking what's going on in the... Um, the main batman series right now with uh, you know how everything's gonna fall after joker war so i'm looking forward to those issues i i like the neil gaiman um story coming out uh whatever happened to the cape crusader in a deluxe edition we certainly didn't have to wait that long for a three jokers hardcover that's coming out november 17th i think so that's just a few weeks after the last issue hit the stands, so that's it's amazing to me how quickly they get these collected editions out now. Um, but I'm looking forward to that, um, and of course, I'm looking forward to the next Batman Future uh, State series. So, yeah. Um, and Steve, you can I'm sure you agree that uh, between now and you know the end of February, we've got a lot of really cool stuff to look forward to. So, what was your take on this, Steve?
2: Wow, is my take to this. Um, <laughs> you guys know me better than anybody. Um, more Batman. Okay, yeah, so where do I sign? And when I hear um, the words Nick Derrington and Batman, I just get even more excited. I mean, if, if you look at just the featured image on this uh, article and the way it's emerging Detective Comics 27 and the first appearance of Batman, But now in a futuristic suit with the new Batman, who I now, after finishing Joker War and reading Batman 101, no longer think is Luke Fox, but his brother Tim. Because I do not know why this character has been reintroduced when he was the black sheep of the family and was split up. And now suddenly he's back out of nowhere from outer space. He just walked in with that sad look upon his face. Um, I am even more intrigued when you add all these other titles i mean again you guys know how much of an alan moore fan i am and how i was against uh, both before Watchmen and doomsday clock until i read them and how i was very against three jokers until i read it and um yeah i got three jokers yeah i love three jokers yeah i reviewed three jokers and the hardbacks coming and Apparently, uh, one of my quotes from my review is actually going to be appearing on the actual book itself. Um, what more reason do I need to buy that book? Uh, and then you've got Batman Catwoman, you've got everything else that's coming, the Road to No Man's Land Omnibus Hardcat Collected Edition. So I can finally put my original books away and, and get a collected edition of uh, No Man's Land as well, uh, hardcover of Detective Comics 1027. Who do I have to kill to get these comics yesterday? That's all I can say. I know I'm buying them, even though I don't have the money. I may have to sell myself, my soul, my clothes, my cat, my blood. But it's Batman. That's all I have to say. It's Batman. Seth?
0: (laughs) I, I, I had a sense of what you were going to say when I saw this story on the list. I would like to think that I was close, and yet, as is always the case, Steve, you have far surpassed my hopes and expectations. It was clearly (laughs) a wonderful breakdown of so much Batman from a true dyed-in-the-wool Batman fan. Um, There is so much to look forward to. I love the suggestion that you've made about what we can be looking forward to and i think it is a great echo of what brad was saying this idea that batman has really been the workhorse you know he's really been uh, the engine behind dc and so much of what's been happening and how he's able to just be the vessel for so many amazing stories that that leads to this this list of books, which would be a laundry list if it wasn't actually a checklist for everything you want to put on your shelf. And now you can, and as a collector like Steve, this means you can put other individuals away into safe places where they no longer have to be reopened because you have this larger context in which to view them from. And I love, Steve, that you brought up this idea about our future state Batman. Who will it be? Uh, who is it we can consider... The suggestion you just made for the identity, because our final story on the comic book news category is something to do exactly with that identity. I'm going to start out with you, Brad. What do you think about this take and, and about whether or not it's someone right in front of us or under our nose? Uh,
1: you know, I think. I don't think i'm even going to speculate i think i am just going to (laughs) be surprised um because generally when i do i'm wrong so i kind of want to just let this story uh present itself and kind of uh you know you know be surprised and not try to guess uh steve
2: i've made my uh my prediction and honestly i don't care if i'm wrong just because of the creative team behind this book. Um, John Ridley writing, Nick Derrington drawing. Uh, Have you guys read uh, Batman Universe by uh, Brian Bendis with art by Nick Derrington? Mm -hmm. Because that alone will tell you what to look forward to with the art. It's gonna be dynamic as hell and different to anything you've ever seen. And whoever this new Batman is, my money's on Timothy Fox. it's Batman. At the end of the day, it's a guy who fights crime at night dressed as a bat. And I want to see his story, who he is and where he came from. Um Just like, uh, Finger and Fox said um, the legend of the Batman, who he is and how he came to be. That's what I want to see with this new Batman, and that's what I want to see with the uh, Bruce Wayne presumed dead but back in the Dark Detective series of Batman Future State. Whatever's happening, if Batman's name's on it, and if it's by creative talents as awesome as these two, once again, DC, take my money. Uh, my wallet is empty, but my soul is full and pure. Seth?
0: (laughs) I don't know if my soul is full and pure, but I do know, depending on the Batman and DC Comics merchandise, it is for at least rent, if not for sale. Find me afterwards. Um, Brad, I love the fact that you're not even going to speculate. That's that's a, a fair consideration. And one that I think is strengthened by something, Steve, you added, which was, I don't care if I'm wrong. I don't care if I'm right. It's going to be Batman. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to read it. I'm going to enjoy it like I have all the others. I know the creative team behind it. So I know they're going to give me something that's just easy for the brain and the eyes to gorge upon and love all the way through. I could speculate as well. I could... Try and say, yeah, I picked up on hints here or there. I I think your your call on uh, Luke's brother is a a perfect one, Steve. I think there's a moment in one of those panels where I thought to myself, well, that's an interestingly imposing stature to just suddenly introduce to me, especially while I'm trying to figure out who a new Batman could be. Interesting. All right. Moving along. Moving. (laughs) Um, But I do also know that. Up until a little while back, I didn't know who Javicia Leslie was. You know who I know she is now? She's Batwoman. That's how it happens. You bring in the person who's going to do it. You tell me about the character. And I'm sold. Because I've seen the investment DC's writers, its artists, have been putting into these characters. And, man, Brad, it started with you so many episodes ago. And, go ahead pandemic go ahead COVID 19 go ahead the loss of sean connery go ahead every other kick me while i'm down moment we are still somehow living in a golden age of dc properties a moment when it seems like for all of the frustrations that the world world can present to us the hope that we need is growing brighter in all of these different projects i am inspired encouraged renewed every time i hear an episode see these stories get to talk with them with you guys and you know what if i'm gonna go ahead and set up my christmas tree early and put a star on top this is what i'm putting right on top this is it shining it's a beacon and uh it's one of those things i can look forward to with hope you know me hope (laughs) and with that that's our final story Not only for comic books, but for this episode of DC Comics News Weekly Podcast. It's been episode number 92, and I have been your host, Seth Singleton. I don't know what I was trying to say a second ago. It might have been like a seven-something, but this was episode 92. I've been your host, and more importantly, I've been joined by the amazing Brad and Steve. Should you want to find them, track them down, perhaps negotiate a sale of some kind, whether it's for a soul or for something Batman-related, or if it's about fashion... They're going to let you know how to do it. We're going to start off with Mr. Brad. Brad, how can the good people find you, my friend?
1: Uh, you can find me writing news reviews, DC Comics News. Uh, you can find me on the Mad Love Harley Quinn podcast, also part of the DC Comics News uh, podcast network. And you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. Steve, where can people find you?
2: You can find me most weeks on this wonderful show with my brothers and sisters, the DC Comics News podcast you can also find me every week on my own little show with my son or a special guest talking about batman the animated series on the i am the night podcast every now and then you might even hear me on the wonderful wacky irreverent hilarious harley quinn cast mad love 2 with my aforementioned dc brothers and sisters um to catch my written work just Type in Steve J. rated search engine of choice and that'll take you to all my news reviews and interviews across both DC Comics News and Dark Knight News. Or search Fantastic Universes for my very own website my son and I created, which now has 15 wonderful writers there too. Um, chat to me on Twitter at Lstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. But hey, what about you, Seth Meister? <laughs>
0: Well, my good friend, you can most often find me hanging out and at my happiest when I am talking great stories, great news with these wonderful folks and a few others who couldn't join us this time. But make the picture so complete when they do on the DC Comics News Weekly podcast. You can find reviews of mine on DC Comics News. You can find me hosting the spinner Act. you can find me hanging out with these crazy kids on mad love you can find me as twitter on twitter is one more singleton on instagram is set the writer or my dogs bruno and fiji you can find me and some silly little things i love to write uh just type my name seth singleton and the word story into a search engine and you can find the entire dc comics news gang all the way out there on social media all you have to do is type in that at symbol in dc comics news whether it's facebook twitter tumblr instagram youtube it's the at symbol capital d capital c capital c o m i c s capital n e w s when you do you let the whole gang know what you're thinking what you want to know and anything else you think we need to know and if you make sure that you have hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to you'll never miss an episode of the dc comics news weekly podcast Episodes of Mad Love, it is as wild and irreverent as both Brad and Steve have pointed out. Really, just take a listen and you'll agree. You can catch Mr. Steve J. Ray hosting I Am The Night. You can catch me with The Spinner Rack. You can look forward to upcoming episodes, the amazing Flicky Fashions features. It's coming, folks. And also another one that has to do with Tropesville, but I'm not sure if I have the license to say it. So I'm simply going to say look out for more about that. Here's how you do it. You hit the subscribe button on whatever your podcast platform is, and you're guaranteed to catch all the great content from the DC Comics News Podcast Network. That's us. That's it. We're done. We only really have one last thing for you to remember, and that is to always read more comics. Thanks so much, everyone. (laughs) Bye now.